today, uh, we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. If you want to turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 and hold your place there, I'm not going to read the entire text as I often do. 1 Samuel 17 is really long, uh, and we're just going to look at bits and pieces of it. So if you have your Bible, and uh, when I call out where we're going to look at, you can uh, peek at that real quick. Uh, if we're able to keep up on the screen, because uh, I'm going to move pretty f uh, quickly, uh, they'll put some of these verses up as well. Uh, but that's where we're going to be. So the story of David and Goliath, uh, I'm sure you know, is one of the most famous stories in all of human history. And uh, this story uh, has probably been used as an analogy in almost every endeavor that human beings undertake. Uh, this past spring, the Ohio State basketball team was on the wrong side of a David and Goliath story. Uh, if you're a basketball fan, they uh, play, They were the second-seeded team in uh, the NCAA tournament, at least in their, their uh, region. And uh, they went up against the 15th-seeded team, uh, Oral Roberts University, a dental school. And um, that was a joke. <laughs> Not a good one, evidently, but it was a joke. Uh, and uh, Oral Roberts was the, uh, I think I said, the 15th-seeded team, and uh, they beat Ohio State. Ohio State was on the wrong side of that David and Goliath story. But you see this reference in a lot of different endeavors in uh, life. A small business enters a field dominated by a few extremely large companies. Within a few years, it has a greater percent of the market than those uh, large companies that it, they took on, and we're told that David took down Goliath in a, in a business setting. Uh, anytime a person or organization comes up against another person or organization that is larger, stronger, better resourced, uh, a David and Goliath analogy is very likely uh, to be used. And so, again, today we're going to look at this account of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. And from this chapter, we're going to discover how to find courage to fight a giant. How to find courage to fight a giant. When we look at 1 Samuel 17, the setup for it is that Israel and their frequent adversary, the Philistines, are preparing for war against each other. Chapter 17 begins by telling us that the Philistine army was camped on one hill, try to envision this, and Israel's army was camped on an adjacent hill, and there was a valley that was in between them. And as the two armies were squaring off against each other, each day one of the Philistines, a warrior named Goliath, would walk into the valley between these two hills, between these two armies, and he would issue a challenge to Israel. How he challenged them is uh, shared with us in verses 8 through 10. Here's the way he would do it. Why do you come out and line up for battle, he would say to the Israelites. Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then he would add this nice little bit at the end of it. This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. 
What's likely going on here is that the Philistines are inviting Israel to engage in what has been called representative warfare or champion warfare, which is where each army would put forward their best warrior. They would fight to the death, and whoever won, it was accepted that the divine will had been made known, and the army who had the champion that won would have gained the victory. And so for 40 days, Goliath comes out into the valley and he issues this challenge, taunting Israel, who has no champion that is willing to face off against Goliath. Verse 11 of the 17th chapter tells us that on hearing Goliath's challenge, quote, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And with good reason. Consider some information about Goliath. We're told in verse 4 that he was over 9 feet tall. His helmet, coat of armor, weighed somewhere between 125 and 175 pounds. William MacDonald estimates, this is so hard to believe, but William MacDonald's est uh, Mac uh, MacDonald estimates that Goliath probably weighed somewhere between 600 and 750 pounds. The iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. This was a, an impressive, imposing, huge, fearsome man. And, and you should know that Goliath's size is not the result of like a big fish story. It, it, it's not. It was not embellished in the telling. That was his size. And if you aren't satisfied with taking the testimony of the Bible, which you should be, there are other historical uh, examples, uh, other historical references to champions of this size in Canaan. And so Israel is being challenged to send someone out and face this hardened, fearsome warrior, and surprise, nobody is signing up for the job. And they're not signing up for the job, even though Saul tried really hard to incentivize someone to do it. He offered them great wealth. He offered them his daughter's hand in marriage. He offered them an exemption from taxes for their whole family. And still, no one was willing to face Goliath. And you can't blame them. They didn't think they would benefit from any of those incentives. <laughs> They thought they would die. Now consider some information about David. David was not even a member of Saul's army. David only entered this story because Jesse, his dad, was worried about the sons who were a part of the army and sent David to take them some supplies, check on them, and bring back word that they were safe. David did as his father instructed. He arrived at the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. David hears this. He leaves his supplies with the aptly named keeper of supplies and runs to the battle lines to greet his brothers. And so as David is talking to his brothers, verse 23 tells us that Goliath stepped out again, shouted out his usual defiance, and David heard it. And when the army saw Goliath, as they had been doing, they ran, from him, they ran from him with, quote, great fear. 
Now, it's important to understand a couple of things about David at this point in the story. David was the youngest of his brothers. Again, he was not part of the army. Verse 33 of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel tells us that David was only a boy. It's estimated that he would have been somewhere around 20 at this time. Some estimates place him a bit younger than that. So understand the situation. Goliath is over 9 feet tall, 600 to 750 pounds, a battle-hardened, fearsome warrior. David is only a boy, not part of the army, the youngest of his brothers, only on the scene because daddy wanted him to take food to his brothers and bring back word that they're safe. But he's there, and he hears the taunts of Goliath, and he doesn't like them. And so verse 32 says he goes to King Saul, who has not been able to find a single volunteer from among his best warriors, and David, only a boy, says, Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, moi, will go and fight him. Think of the scene. It, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. David does what the best warriors of Israel were too terrified to do. He volunteered, volunteered to go and fight Goliath. You know, the Bible has a lot of examples in it of people who God called to do things and they had to be persuaded. You know, they were, very, they were very reluctant. But you don't find any reluctance here in David. He volunteers to go up against this fearsome champion of the Philistines, but Saul's not impressed. Saul's not impressed at all. He says in verse 33, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. He's been a fighting man since his youth, not to mention he's nine feet tall. But what other option does Saul really have? Because no one else is going to go. And so in verse 37 we read, Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. <laughs> David had courage that no one else in the army had. The courage to fight a giant. In a situation where you either defeated the giant or you died. This wasn't like, you know, when it hurts too much, cry uncle. No, you fought to the death. David has volunteered for something that is unlikely to be successful in the natural. He volunteered for something that others were unwilling to do, even though it would mean wealth, a wife, and no taxes. Why was young David, not even part of the army, only a boy, willing to take on such a risky assignment fighting the giant? There might be more, but there are at least three reasons that we can find in our text why David was willing to risk facing Goliath. And I want to share those three reasons with us today. 
And these three reasons are very instructive for us in learning how to find courage to fight a giant or giants in our own lives. Look at verse 26. Goliath is taunting Israel, and David asked this, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And then he says something that give us, gives us some understanding about why David was so willing to fight Goliath. He said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David is indignant that anyone would have the audacity to defy the only army on either one of these hills that serves the living God. He's indignant about this. What Goliath is doing is outrageous to David. Defy Israel? Defy God's people? Defy Israel's God? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And if you don't know why that phrase is used, it's because circumcision was a sign of being in covenant with the living God. And so David is incredulous that Goliath, someone who is not in covenant with the living God, would have the audacity to think that he could defeat an army that is in covenant with the living God. David is essentially saying, who does he think he is? How dare he defy the living God? David found courage to fight Goliath because he was righteously indignant at Goliath's affront to the people of God and to God himself. Let's look at the second reason, verses 34 through 37. When David volunteers to face Goliath and Saul tries to dissuade him, David answers this way, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Great line coming up. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now you see in there again David's righteous indignation. This reference to because he has defied the armies of the living God. But then we find something else. David is willing to fight Goliath because he has a history with God. He's faced challenges like this before, and he has experienced God's power in those situations. And he tells about these two occasions, first a lion and then a bear coming to carry off his father's sheep, how he ran after them, struck them, rescued the sheep, and then imagine this scene. The lion and the bear turn on him. They're angry. They've been robbed of their dinner. So David could be dinner. And yet, he grabs them by the hair, strikes them, and kills them. Supernatural strength, 
God provided strength in a situation where you need courage in a risky situation. This is something that David has experienced before. This is not his first time facing this kind of thing. His history with God delivering him in dangerous situations gave him confidence that God would do it again. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like the lion and the bear because this uncircumcised Philistine has defied the armies of the living God. So David had the courage to fight Goliath because he was righteously indignant over Goliath's affront to God and because he had a history with God that included being in risky situations and seeing God come through for him. And then there's a third reason. Look at verses 45 through 47. It's, it's closely tied to the second reason. Here's what they say. As David approaches Goliath, we read this. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. A nine foot tall, 700 pound man is standing in front of him. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Here's the third reason that David had courage others did not have. David knew that he did not face Goliath in his own power. He said, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. David understood that there is power in the name of the Lord. This is the same David who wrote in the 124th Psalm, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He knew about the power of the name of the Lord. We understand these things on a, on a natural level even. If I have a policeman's badge, I'm not acting in my own power. I'm acting with the full power of the government behind me. When David, in covenant with God, faced Goliath, he knew that he did not do this in his own name. He did it in the name of the Lord, the power of the Lord. He had the full power of the God who created the heavens and the earth behind him. David knew that he came in the name of the Lord. And he knew that God's people don't really win battles with swords and spears. He knew that the means of victory, the source of power was not actually in having the right weapons. It wasn't in having the best resources. It wasn't in being bigger and stronger than the enemy. David knew it's not your strength or your resources that determine victory. It's your God that determines victory. Who is your God? That's what determines victory. 
all those gathered will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Here's what David knew that enabled him to have courage to face Goliath. He knew that the battle wasn't really his. But that as verse 47 says, the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. When a person has a God-ordained assignment, what they really are is just a tool, a tool in God's hands. The fight isn't theirs. The fight is God's. He's just using them as his means of fighting. And again, we see this in many ways in the natural. You know, you, you go to play a softball game, you pick up a bat, you walk to the plate, the bat can do absolutely nothing without you. The bat has no ability uh, 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 of its own. A softball bat has never hit a ball. It never has. People hit the ball. They just use the bat to do the hitting. When I take a shovel and dig a hole in my backyard to plant a tree, I dig the hole. The shovel is a tool. The shovel can't dig a hole. I have to dig the hole. David understood that he was simply a tool in God's hand. He was not going to defeat Goliath. God was going to defeat Goliath. He was just going to let David be the weapon that he picked up and used to defeat the enemy that dared to defy him. David had the courage to fight a giant because he realized that the battle is the Lord's. Now, many of you, if you have uh, been, been around the church for a while, been a Christian for a while, you know the end of the story. Verse 48 tells us that as the Philistine moved closer to attack, David, quote, ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Again, David is eager. He knows how this is going down. Like, he, he's not wondering. He knows how this ends. And so David runs to the battle line. He reached in his bag. He took out a stone. He put the stone in the sling. He slung it around his head. He released the stone, which made its way to the middle of Goliath's forehead, hitting him in one of the few vulnerable places in his armor. And Goliath falls face down to the ground. David runs to where Goliath is. He stands over him. He takes Goliath's sword, and he cuts off Goliath's head. And when the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran, and God gave Israel victory over the Philistines that day. I love the way verse 50 of 1 Samuel 17 describes this. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Triumph with a sling and a stone. He triumphed in the name of the Lord. He triumphed through the power of the living God, not by sword, not by spear. David accepted a God-ordained assignment that required God-empowered courage. What we've learned about David is instructive for us today. It's exactly the way that we can find the courage 
to face the giants, figurative giants, in our own lives. First, we can have courage to fight the giant in our lives when we remember what God has done for us in the past, how he has shown himself strong in our lives in the past. If you're feeling yourself struggling with something that you feel God has called you to do, or, or, or with some trouble that has come into your life, you, you feel that the assignment he's given you is too risky or the trouble that's come is too big for you. I encourage you today to remember all the times that God came through for you in the past when you stepped out in faith. Remember that time when you did share your faith with the coworker, and the sky did not fall on you. Remember that. Remember that time that you prayed with someone and they told you that what you prayed for them was exactly what they needed, but they hadn't been able to put it into words themselves. Remember that time at your job when a really difficult assignment was given to you. You were afraid you weren't up to it. You were afraid you couldn't do it, but you did. And you know you were able to do it because God strengthened you and God provided for you in that situation. If you've walked with God for any length of time, you absolutely have experiences of God coming through for you in a difficult and challenging situation. You absolutely have experiences where you needed courage and God provided what you needed. And if you've walked with Jesus for any time and you say you can't remember a time when God empowered you to face something or do something that you didn't think you could do, I humbly submit to you that the problem is your memory. It's not that God hasn't done anything for you. It's your memory that's the problem. And so pray that God would bring to your memory the times that he came through so that your faith would be encouraged. I have an example like this in my own life that I'm so, so even all these years later, I'm so susceptible to just like glossing over this. Michelle and I had gone 11 years unable to conceive a child. I remember this moment. 2941 East Mound Street, Columbus, where we lived at the time, in our basement on the pink carpet that we had removed from the living room and taken to the basement when we moved in the house, we both laid on that carpet and begged God to give us a child. Wasn't very long later, we had a child. How, how long was it after that prayer? Do you remember the timing, Michelle? <laughs> pretty close <laughs> I remember reflecting at that and Michelle has often been the one that has helped me see hey uh, hey doofus that was obviously God that did that because you know I I yeah stay, I, I need to stay on the notes I need to stay on the notes in my life, I've seen people claim a lot of things that just didn't really happen. Okay, so I'm, I'm a little hesitant. But, but I remember at times reflecting on that and saying, hey, you know, that was probably an answered prayer, you know. So what are you talking about, probably an answered prayer? Of course it's an answered prayer. God came through for us. How did I even get on that? Anyway. 
It's your memory that's it, that's the problem if you don't have something to point to. And so pray that God would help your memory so that you would see those times that he came through and provided for you in the way that you needed. I think of one of these specific to a ministry assignment. Um, when John and Margie Moriarty, who were our sending pastors that sent us out here to plant this church, told Michelle, after just a little bit of time on the worship team at Eastside Vineyard Church, that you're now going to be the worship director of our church. She had never been a worship director. She did not see herself as a worship director. They said, we don't care about any of that. You're it. And God empowered her to do it. And now she's been our worship director for 16 years. And she can look back on that now, and she knows that God strengthened her to do something that she never thought she was going to be able to do. You have experiences like these somewhere in your past if you've been walking with the Lord. You just have to remember it. And once you remember it, be encouraged by it. Our history of God empowering us, coming through for us, helps us to have the courage to face new challenges as they come to us. So we can have the courage to fight our giants as we remember what God has done in the past. And we can have courage to fight our giants when we become righteously indignant at the work of the enemy. David was willing to face Goliath because he was indignant that Goliath would defy the armies of the living God. What would make a person risk their own life in order to, let's say, stop a robbery that they see happening? What would make another person risk their life to step in to help somebody else that's being beaten? Someone they don't even know. What causes people to do that? Here's what I think it is. It's people who are offended at injustice. It's people who see something that should not be happening, and they become righteously indignant over it, and they have this feeling come over them that says, this is not right, and so I have to do something about it. Why? Should we risk telling a neighbor or coworker about Jesus? Why should we do that? It's so risky. It's so difficult. I, I admit to you today, I have, I have lacked courage many times to, to share the way that I should. I, I hate to tell you that as your pastor, but it's true. I remember in the early years of the church, when we did a lot of door-to-door -door stuff, if I'm being perfectly honest, I was like halfway praying that nobody would come to the door. God, just, just let me, God, just let me put this uh, tag on their door and get, get back to where I was going because you just never knew how it was going to go when they came to the door. Some people were nice. Some people were nasty. And uh, so I lacked courage many times. But, but what finally pushes us over the edge to risk actually telling people about Jesus? It should be something like this. We get sick and tired of seeing what the enemy is doing to people's lives. We watch over and over, whether it's people we know or just 
knowing that it's happening to other people. We see how the enemy convinces people that alcohol or drugs or sex are going to provide happiness. And we know that people try all of those things and they just find themselves increasingly unhappy, more and more empty. So how do we finally get the courage to share our faith with people like that? You finally just have to get angry enough over what the enemy is doing to people to where you realize, I know what these people need. I can't sit idly by anymore and watch their lives destroyed when I know how they can be saved and I know how the damage done to them can be undone. Why would someone risk offending a friend? Saying, hey, I want to talk to you. I've noticed how you've been treating your children. You know, mind your own business. My kids. Treat them however I want. Why would someone risk something like that? Maybe it's because they've watched those kids' faces over and over as a parent belittles them in front of other people. They, they see the damage that the parent is oblivious to. They know the parent's going to regret it someday. They know the child is being harmed, and so they work up the courage and they risk it. We need to talk. They talk cautiously, graciously, kindly, but they talk. Why? Because they see a wrong that is being done and they know that something has to be done about this. They become righteously indignant. Why would someone risk being a missionary, going to a far off country where they might face danger? Because of this, they realize that people are being born, living their entire lives and dying with no exposure to the gospel whatsoever. And they realize that thousands, hundreds of thousands, and millions of people are being kept in darkness by the enemy of their souls, and they finally say, this isn't right. Somebody has to do something about this. Why might someone risk the disapproval of family or friends or co-workers and become outspoken on the topic of abortion? Why might they decide to give financially to a pro-life organization even if it hurts them a little bit? Why might they decide to stop letting flippant comments about choice go unchallenged? Because they eventually become righteously indignant that something is happening that is unjust and they decide, I have to do something. Now, being indignant doesn't mean we're belligerent. It doesn't mean we act angry. It just means that we see something rightly as being so unjust, so offensive, that we cannot help but do something about it. I think that most Christians need to be a little more righteously indignant about quite a few things than what they are about things that matter. We've got down being righteously indignant about things that don't matter. We've got that one covered. Experts everywhere on being indignant about things that don't matter. Someone passed me in the foyer today and didn't say hi. Can you believe it? I can't stand all those churches that use those smoke machines. 
so glad we don't have a smoke machine here. I don't like smoke machines either, but <laughs> do we need to be righteously indignant about it? No, absolutely not. I was late to my ministry I committed to, and so-and-so had the nerve to tell me it's really important to be on time. Can you believe some people? Oh, that one hurt, didn't it? <laughs> All this laughing and everything, you get to that one, it's like... We have things we're pretty good at being righteously indignant about. Unfortunately, they're often the wrong things. And so we need to be indignant over what the enemy is doing to people's lives. We need to be indignant over injustice such as abortion. We need to be indignant that people are dying without hearing the gospel. And like David, we can have the courage to face giants in our lives, things such as overcoming a besetting sin, Witnessing to a neighbor, even though it scares us, we can do those things when we become righteously indignant over what the enemy is doing. And I'm hurrying to a close. I know we're going a little long today. Here's the third and final thing. We can find the courage to fight giants in our lives as we embrace the truth that the battle is the Lord's. As I've already said, David knew that he did not face Goliath on his own. He knew it was not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. He knew that the battle he was called to fight was really the Lord's battle. Listen, every assignment that God gives us, every obstacle that comes in our path, anything that God places in front of us, all it really amounts to is that God just wants us to be willing to let him use us for whatever it is that he's put in front of us. The battle is not really ours, it is his. We're just instruments. We're just tools that he uses to accomplish his purpose. We don't fight in our own strength, he provides the strength. We don't share our faith in our own strength. We don't teach a class in our own strength. We don't honor Christ by being a, a great employee for our employer in our own strength. We don't become good husbands or good wives or good parents in our own strength. We don't serve as a mentor for young adults in fostering further or that are living at Hope Landing in our own strength. We don't go on a mission trip in our own strength. We don't deliver beds as part of the bed brigade in our own strength. We don't teach kids about Jesus in our own strength. We don't face financial challenges in our own strength. We don't face relational challenges in our own strength. We don't face health challenges in our own strength. In everything that life and God brings to us, all of the assignments that God puts in front of us, they are not our own. In each of those things, the battle is the Lord's. And when we... Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> and when we truly believe that the battle is the Lord's, not ours... We can find the courage to fight the giant that is coming at us because we know that actually what's happening is God is fighting not only with us, but God is fighting through us. We, we do have things to do. We, we have things to do. David had to walk out there. He did. He had to take his sling. He had to select the stones. He had to put the stone in the sling. He had to wind it up and release it toward Goliath. He had to go and take the sword and cut off Goliath's head. But in all of that, David knew 
that while there were things he physically had to do, the battle still belonged to the Lord. It was God who was going to bring the victory. So are you today facing a giant or giants in your life that have shaken your confidence? If you're lacking courage today for a fight that you know you have to fight from the life of David, Learn how to find the courage you need to face your giant. Remember what the Lord has done in the past. Become righteously indignant at what the enemy is doing. Allow your heart to be moved by the injustice of what the enemy is doing in your life and in the lives of other people. And embrace the truth that the battle is the Lord's. You are not called to face giants on your own. God is with you and the battle belongs to him. Let's stand. 